You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Game Boy. Nintendo came out with Game Boy 1989. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you remember it. Um, My oldest son was two years old at the time. And it seemed like the very next day he was begging and pleading for a Game Boy. I mean, that early. He he wanted a Game Boy. Um, It just... (laughs) But here's the thing we noticed. Game Boy was the first video gaming system that was handheld that you could walk around with. Um, everything else, there were consoles. You had to you know, plug in and you had to, your stationary to play with. And, and what we began to notice is, you know, little boys. And, and notice that it was Game Boy. It wasn't Game Girl or Game Child. It was Game Boy. Um, so they knew their target audience. Um, and so what we discovered is all these Game Boys just walking around like this, not walking into walls, walking into traffic, you know, all these things that just, and we said, there's no way we're going to be buying that for our son. Um, and for years, we resisted his pleading and begging and, you know, don't you want your son to be happy, please? And all these things that just didn't work. And uh, we, we, um, we, but we did finally give in. Um, a few years later, he was seven, it was Christmas, and we bought the Super Nintendo game console. So it was one of these you had to sit in front of and play, so it wasn't, you couldn't walk around with it. Um, I remember this, the expression on his face when he opened that up was pure joy. It's what every parent wants to see on their kid's face when they open up a present and gift. I mean, it was, he was beside himself with excitement that he now had um, a video game to play with, and uh, it was just, it was wonderful. Um, For the first few days, every waking hour he had was spent in front of a screen, you know, trying to solve and figure, get to the end or whatever it was. And after a couple days of this, Betsy got a little concerned. And she, you know, it's like, hey, what's up with this? Um... You know, how much time? And I said, oh, listen, listen, just let him go. In a couple of days, he'll get bored. He'll play itself out. And then he'll, whatever, you know, and, and things will kind of get back to normal. And, and he'll find something else to do. <clears throat> it never happened. <laughs> never happened. Um, he couldn't get enough of it. He just couldn't get enough of it. And <laughs> somebody, family time for him. And this was a quote. <clears throat> do you want to watch me play? That was family time, us watching him play a video game um, <clears throat> uh, on, on the screen. Um, he, he no longer wanted to go outside to play. He became argumentative. Really, this game changed him. Uh, so what was given to him to be a source of joy and pleasure became an obsession. Now, remember, we gave him the game. We wanted him to have it. We wanted him to, to receive joy and pleasure in playing of it. We wanted it, the game to bring him happiness. Instead, the joy and happiness he got from the game was never enough. It never satisfied him. He always wanted more. In fact, it wasn't uh, a few years later, you know, as he got a little older, you know, the, the Super Nintendo wasn't enough. Because then Nintendo came out with Nintendo 64. And then the other ones started coming in. And so all of a sudden, you have to have the latest, greatest system. And it was always more. It never satisfied him. The game began to control him. His relationship to the game replaced his relationship with others, particularly with us, his parents. The game had his heart. 
we're in a series that's called God's at War. And what we're exploring is this idea that there's a battle being fought for our hearts. If something has our heart, we give it our time, we give it our attention, we give it our money. We pursue it and sacrifice it. And that is the very essence of worship. But when we worship something other than the one true God, it becomes idolatry. And the thing we pursue becomes a substitute for God in our lives. Good things, even things God created for our good and enjoyment, can become God or gods in our lives. The passage I'm going to read here in just a moment uh, comes from the Old Testament book of, of Amos. So before I read it, let me just give you a little context. <clears throat> Excuse me. After King David, <clears throat> we're familiar with King David and the, 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 the story, the history of Israel. <clears throat> Israel was never greater, never larger, never more powerful, never more wealthy than under the rulership of David. It was the heyday of, of Israel history. Um, in fact, to this day, you go to Israel and you still recognize the significance of David in their, their historical account. <clears throat> After he died, his son became king, Solomon. After Solomon died, the kingdom split. There became two factions. Two of the tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, part of Benjamin, formed the tribe of Judah. And actually, that became its name. The other 10 tribes, mostly in the northern part of the country, became uh, just became known as Israel. Uh, and, and so we had Judah and Israel, a split kingdom, if you will. This split kingdom was going on for about 150 years by the time we get to Amos. There's multiple kings on both sides in both, in both kingdoms, if you will, and, and varying degrees of effectiveness. More often than not, evil. They were not following God, and there was a lot of issues and problems and, but, about, but by the time of Amos, Israel had enjoyed peace in its borders for more than 100 years. David's time was when all the wars were. They established their territory. Solomon enjoyed peace. But by this time, there's been about 100 years of peace that they've enjoyed. And Israel, especially northern Israel, was quite prosperous and, um, and had really regional influence as well with the othering tribal or the other nation groups around it in that part of the Middle East. <clears throat> But we also learned from Amos that there were some other things going on there too, <clears throat> that they exploited the poor and needy. There was a growing disparity between the privileged and those living in poverty. There was judicial, or judicial corruption was rampant. Spirit, they were very spiritually minded, but it was not a covenant relationship with God, very much involved in idol worship and the worship of other gods and other religious behaviors. They were morally decadent with no fear of God. So that's the context in which we're going to read our passage. And so um, if we'll be reading from Amos chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. You can follow along if you're on the, on the screen or on your particular apparatus. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure out Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalna and look at it. Go from there to Great Hamath and then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. 
you strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word, and I thank you for these words of of Amos, uh, written almost 3,000 years ago. Uh, But yet they speak to us today. And so, Lord, as we dig a little deeper, help us to understand a little bit more about what you might be wanting to say to us um, as it applies in uh, in our day and age. So, Father, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to uh, anoint these words in the next uh, little bit. We're together in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, can, I have verse, can I have the passage back up there? Go to verse 1, if you could, Erica. <clears throat> Let me, a couple notes here, just again, so you have context. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure in Mount Samaria. Zion is another um, a name for Jerusalem. And Mount Samaria was the capital region of the northern tribe. So these are the two capital regions. So these are the places of prestige, power, and influence. So he's, so he's talking to national leaders, is who he's talking to there. You notable men of foremost nations. See, again, you see that there. Um, and then he goes on and says, go to Kalna and look at it, and go from there to Great Hamath. Those are two cities in, that were in Syria, what is in today's Syria, um, but they were part of the Norbert, northern uh, tribes and historically were very influential cities that Israel conquered. And so they were no longer, they, the prestige, they were, they were has-beens in that, in that case. Same thing when it talks about going to Gath uh, in Philistia, that was in southern Israel, actually would be part of, uh, part of what we see um, Gaza, down in that area there, that part of Israel, that was Philistia. That's where the Philistines were back in, in we that from uh, the other parts of the stories. And so, again, Gath and some of the other Philistine cities, they were no more. They didn't have the prestige and the power that they wanted. So what he's making comparisons. He's saying, look at them. Are they anything, are they any big deal today? No. What makes you think you're any different from them is what he's actually trying to say. It does mention the fact they're two kingdoms and he makes reference to that. And then he actually, in verse 6, he actually talks about the ruin of Joseph. Um, what could have the last? One more? That's not, go one before that then, I'm sorry. No, 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 it was there. Go back. I missed it. It's right in the middle. I was looking at the top and bottom. But you do not, you drink the fine wine from a bowl, by the bowlful. Notice he doesn't say you just drink, by the bowlful. You know, it's not by drink, you know, cups, it's by the bowlful. And you use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Again, Joseph is, is, an, is re- referring back to when the, the tribes were united. And that he said, basically, you're not saddened by what's happening, is what he's trying to say. Where we've come from to where we, from where we were, and that doesn't bother you, there's something wrong with you, is what he's trying to say. So the Israelites are being confronted. Thanks, Erica. The Israelites are being confronted because their pursuit of pleasure had lulled them to spiritual complacency. The very things that they were enjoying deceived and distracted them in their pursuit of God. And that's what we're going to look at for the next few minutes. We're going to be looking at this idea of confronting the gods of pleasure. Now, I have to say this series, for me personally, has been a little challenging. Uh, you got to remember, we start working on these sermons about six weeks out. You know, we, <clears throat> we get an outline, there's reading, 
and research, and we're just kind of developing. And so for me, there's been a lot of reflecting and reassessing various parts of my life over the past four to six weeks. Um, I don't stand before you today as someone who's mastered all the things I'm about to talk about. Um, there are areas in my life which I'm doing fine, uh, things we'll talk about. There's other areas, not so much. So I've learned that you can love Jesus with all your heart and still struggle with life. That being said, I want my heart to be fully and wholly devoted to God. I don't want there to be anything in my life that detracts from my worship of him and him alone. So today, we're going to look at the gods of pleasure. Three specifically, we're going to look at the god of food, the god of sex, and the god of pleasure. Now, I need to also say as well, God isn't against any one of these three. That's kind of is the reputation that the church and Christianity, it's all about these lists of do's and don'ts, and it's, it's the no fun league kind of an idea here that you can't do anything that's enjoyable. But here's the thing to remember. God created those very things. God created food. God created sex. God created pleasure. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of walk us through that. He created them for us, for our enjoyment. He gave them to us for our joy and for our happiness. But like my son and his Nintendo game, we've taken his gifts and turned them into something that he never intended them to be. We use them in ways they were never intended to be used, and we look for them to provide us with things they are incapable of giving. So, let's just start with the God of food. Think about the vast spectrum of food available to us today. I mean, it is, I mean, think of the variety of just hearing this, but then you go internationally, you look at other countries, any of you have traveled internationally and sampled some of the, the local cuisine, and you realize the variety of flavors and tastes and textures and all that's involved with food. Um, I understand that for a young adult, there's 10,000 taste buds on the back of your tongue, 10,000. And each one of them allow you to experience food in high definition, you know? It's, 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 it's there. I understand as you get older, they start to diminish. Older adults, I guess, it's like only 5,000. But still, that's a lot of taste buds to experience your food. And God, in t- God intended that the experience of eating was to be enjoyable. Yes, it had a, a purposeful function. It was meant to sustain us but he meant it for us to be enjoyed as well. Think about this. Jesus spent a lot of time around food. You know, his miracle of feeding the 5,000, food. How many times did he meet with people, you know, in their homes, Zacchaeus and Matthew, and we read about them, he shared a meal with them. Again, it seemed like Jesus was spending as much time as he was teaching, it seemed like he spent as much time eating and talking and experiencing that as well. So I say all this to say that there's nothing wrong with food and, and we're expected to eat and we're expected to enjoy it. Eating is good. The problem is that the, every gift God gives us can be twisted into a lure that pulls us away from him. <clears throat> the problem comes when we start to look to food to do for us what the Lord God alone should do. Maybe it's you've just learned your job is insecure. Or there's a transition, and, and maybe that's something that's happened to you. Or, or maybe someone close to you has caused you great emotional pain. Or maybe you worry about the future. 
the stress and insecurity and fear, each of these can cause us to look for solace in food. In such a situation, food has captured your heart. You look for it to give you control. You look for it to give you pleasure. You look for it to give you comfort. In fact, we rec- so we're so aware of this, we actually call it comfort food, don't we? The irony is that when we're talking about comfort food is that God refers to himself as our comforter. So we look to food to, to be the comforter when it cannot do that. <clears throat> Only God can bring comfort that, that can last and remain. I love this quote. A very large part of humanity's problems is the result of the rampant practice of trying to feed the soul with food meant for the body. If we look to food to provide us with something only God can give, it's possible that we have made food an idol in our life. Let's take a moment look at this idea of the God of sex. Now here too, God was God, or sex was God's idea. And he designed it to intimately connect us to a spouse. And just like food, sex has a, a practical function, a procreation. And like food, it was also intended to give us pleasure. Sex enjoyed God's way creates and affirms a spiritual intimate bond between a husband and wife. But sex outside of the context of marriage is destructive. It's estimated that the pornography industry generates about $10 billion annually, every year. But it's not just our money that we've sacrificed on this God. Many have sacrificed their marriages, their children, and their careers on its altar. And it's no longer a God for men alone. An increasing number of women also find themselves trapped in its grip. But like the God of food, the God of sex demands more and more from us. It's never satisfied. In fact, the more we pursue it, the greater the sense of dissatisfaction we feel. Within our culture, sex has become a private, even selfish experience. It reduces others to mere objects to be used for personal pleasure. But God has always intended for it to be a relationship-based, other-affirming experience. Paul talks about this in, in Corinthians, recognizing the destruction it can cause. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man man or or woman, let me just say a person, all other sins a person commits are outside their body. But those who who sin sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. When sex becomes the end product, The objective, it becomes an idol. And like all idols, it doesn't, like all false idols, it can never satisfy. Lastly, let's look at this idea of God of entertainment. Um, On most mornings, Betsy and I have, on most Friday mornings, Betsy and I have a routine. And after breakfast, you know, we're, um, while drinking coffee, we play a game of backgammon and then play a hand or two of Monopoly Deal. That's kind of our thing. Um, and after that, we actually, uh, um, sometimes, quite often we'll have a time of prayer, just uh, praying for often many, many of you. And 
But that's but the games are a way to give us time to talk. You know, you're you know, they're they're um, it, the games do allow for that and um, talk about the past, talk about what's going on in the present, and also about what the future might look like. And much of the time, um, you know, the you know the games are fine, but Betsy and I are both very competitive. Um, we don't like to lose, and she tends to gloat when she wins. Um, she's not here, so I can say that. So, uh, <clears throat> I know. So you won't say a word to her, will you? Any of you? So I know. So you're texting her now. I can, I can feel it. And every now and then, the game, so we're competitive, and every now and then, the game gets a little emotional. Sometimes names, not pet names, and then insults have been known to be used uh, towards the other person. Um, but that's our time to just enjoy the time and the, we enjoy playing games together. And although we have different tastes in movies, we enjoy watching them together and then talking about it afterwards. The idea of sharing a movie experience is something we both enjoy. The point here is this entertainment is good. And we need recreation to refuel our souls. Hear that. It's not just something as a distraction. We need it to refuel our souls. However, when we plan the value of entertainment, I'm sorry, excuse me, and I think that's a typo in your thing. I think it's when we place, it is it. My have a typo in here. When we place the value of entertainment above our pursuit of God, then we have made something good into a God. So again, it's a distortion of something that's God-given, God-made, and we've used it to try to accomplish something it was never intended to do. There was a study in 2012 found that almost one in 10 kids between the ages of 8 and 18 years old could be classified as clinically addicted to video games. One in 10. They have the same, same, same symptoms. Withdrawal from family and friends. They lie to cover up their addiction. And they'll do anything to keep playing. Another study came out in 2017 uh, found that, that uh, typically here in America, we spend more than four hours a day on our phones. And almost half of that is on social media. The average American watches more than four hours of TV a day. And within the average home, the TV is on more than eight hours a day. I guess that means it's just on and no one's watching it. That's a lot of entertainment, isn't it? And again, I know, like I said, this is some of those things where we think about what do we do with our free time and our spare time, and are we looking for this to fill it? Are we looking for our games and entertainment as a means of enjoyment or is it as a means of escape? Is it a means, is it an excuse to not to do something we know we need to do? Are we hoping to find something in our entertainment that isn't really going to satisfy us? What was meant to be an escape has become inescapable. Food becomes insatiable hunger. Sex becomes shame. Entertainment becomes restless boredom. So what are we to do? Well, I think some of it is just having just general self-awareness. Be aware of the behaviors that might be the result of idol worship. Turn off the TV. Take a break from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever else the new app is that uh, everyone's using. Turn down the music. 
unplug the game. Sometimes, and let me also say this, sometimes there's practical steps, but like anything for which if there's, we talked about this in terms of addiction, if I recognize that sometimes it is, there is, we need help. Sometimes it isn't just as simple of, oh, I need to change this and we can change it. Sometimes we need help. And if that's the case, don't be afraid to ask for it. Whether you're talking with someone, a loved one, another family, a friend, maybe someone who's been down that path, you know, give me a call saying, hey, who can I talk to? If it's not me, I will, I will happily point you in the direction of someone else. But the idea of, of getting help when you know you need it, that is something don't hesitate in doing. I think the words of Solomon are pretty insightful for us. Solomon was the wisest, known as the wisest man to ever live. He had everything. His dad was the, the strongest, most powerful king. His dad set up the kingdom forever, or it ended up to be intended forever. Solomon had more wealth than he knew what to do with. He had a thousand wives and concubines. Um, we could question his wisdom over that one, but... <laughs> He had every form of entertainment and pleasure available to him a person could want. He had everything available to him. In fact, he actually admits that. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Most of the time, the pleasures we pursue are not bad, they're good. But if we are not, are not alert, we can allow the gifts that God has given us to become gods that keep us from pursuing him. And these gods will never, ever satisfy so I'm left with Psalm 139, which is what I shared um, just a bit ago about my own journey through this. It's Psalm 139. It says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as I read, as I've read uh, in preparation for the sermon and a couple of different books and, and reading this, the Count of Amos and realizing what you do, Lord, uh, I've done so much positive and there's so much about life that we're to enjoy and it's supposed to be fulfilling. And Father, we've taken some of those because of our own weaknesses, our own faults, sometimes our own ignorance. And we've, we, we look to these things to provide us, Father, with things that, that they can't do. There are things that only you can provide. Only you can provide, Lord God, fulfillment. Only you can provide true joy that, that is sustaining. Father, only you can provide meaning and purpose in life. Father, I, my prayer is that in those times that we would be, um, Lord, uh, putting our life in front of one of these idols, that we would become aware of of that effect. Again, not that we can't enjoy these things, but Lord, when they become more than they're intended to be, when we when we're on that path, Lord God, I ask that you would make us aware of that, that we would that we would be able to have the courage and the strength to take steps.
to change that, to modify our behaviors. Lord, I, my prayer is that if there's any here who, um, any among us who are struggling, and what I've shared today is not a new, there's nothing really new. It's been something I've been aware of and have been struggling maybe for years. Father, if any of us who just need help, it just we, we can't do it on our own. We've tried. We've tried every plan. We've tried every program. We've tried every step. We don't know what else to do. Father, we find ourselves at this state of, of Lord, sometimes just physical and emotional exhaustion. Lord, we have nowhere else to go. And Father, um, there's a part of me that celebrates that because it's only when we we come to that place and we can turn to you and say, God, I can't do it anymore. I need you. So Father, in our weaknesses, may you become strong. Father, may you lead us to those individuals or maybe those conversations or maybe the book or maybe the podcast or maybe something from someone else that can, that can give us life, that can be life-giving in what they share, that would give us that little bit we need to get us out of the trap in which we find ourselves. Lord, our desire is that we are fully devoted to you, that we worship only you. We want to enjoy the things you've given us to enjoy, but God, may they not become entrapments. May they not become idols that we devote ourselves to. So Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, go with us in the days ahead that we would find our peace and comfort and security, all those things. We find them in you. And Lord, we continue to give you honor and glory and praise for all these things in Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.